The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Serve the Lord with gladness in our works and ways. Come.
join me as we go to our Savior in prayer. Holy Father, we pray that our life may be a life spent in praise and glorifying your name. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are the true and the living God. You are omnipotent. You're all-powerful. You're almighty. And we come, our Father, to exalt and to praise your name this day, rejoicing with how that you have watched over us, how that you have brought us into this special hour today for the proclamation of your word. We pray for our pastor as he shares with us today. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will have liberty to work in our midst this day and that we will leave this place rejoicing and giving thanks unto you. We know, our Father, that there are a number of our folks that are ill. There have been the loss of loved ones during these last few days or several days. We pray, our Father, for those families that are in bereavement and sorrow. But Lord, I also want to thank you for your goodness. We have much to rejoice and to praise you in. But Father, I want to pray for our nation. Father, it just seems that we are divided. We're, we're all going, trying to go in so many different directions. There is so much tension in our nation's capital. And Father, this surely must break your heart. And so I pray for our nation, Lord, our leaders, people on both sides and all the different sides, God, that we, could, we should see that we are a nation that has been tremendously blessed. But God, we're going to reap what we sow. And maybe that's what's happening now, Lord. But I just pray for a unity in our leaders. And I pray also that we here in our own neighborhood and community and church will be likewise. Move among us this morning and stir our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
Jesus, teach me how to love like you. What a great, great message. You know, this morning, at the end of the service, we're going to have Lord's Supper. The music this morning has been chosen with that thought in mind. It's a, a great uh, time to share as a church family as we do the Lord's Supper. Also, I want you to know someone named Rex. He's sitting at drums over here. Usually, Rex is not seen. He's heard, and he sits, he sits up there and does Facebook and all that sort of thing. I found out recently he plays drums. <laughs> so he's going to play drums during a couple of our hymns this morning. I just wanted you to know Rex. He's a good guy, and I appreciate his playing this morning. Beginning with, oh, magnify the Lord. Let's sing it together. Oh, magnify, oh, magnify the Lord with me.
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Father, we thank you for the um, blessings that you so richly bless us with, Father. Lord, we ask you to take these tithes and offerings and use them to further your kingdom. It's just a portion of what you've blessed us with, Lord. We thank you for this day. And we just uh, ask your blessing upon our lives, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In all fairness, we changed the order of service this morning, and, and Glenn did not get the order, so this is supposed to be already happening. But thank you, Glenn, for playing this one.
Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much for that. <clears throat> you know, in the old days when you go to church and like it'd be missionary sharing time and you got some missionary who went to Asia and they came back and they had the little slideshow with their little clicker and they sit there and I feel like that's what it's going to be like today, but it's not going to be that way. So we do have our little clicker. We'll see if it works with that. We have had 28 people return at 1.30 a.m. on Friday from Israel. They were there, there. We were over there about 10, 11 days. Sherry and I went along with them. Now, half of those folks went to our church, so it was a great group of folks. Uh, tr trip of a lifetime. Um, in fact, go ahead and tr turn your Bibles. I'm going to be preaching on the third temple and the Antichrist, and once you're going to see some of the videos here, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 24, that's going to be our scripture passage. We were, I was hoping to get a bunch of folks from the trip to share, but that's very challenging, but I found one sucker, she's going to come up here in a little bit, and she's going to share, she fell for it, so, um, and she's got some pictures she wants to show, and she'll use our little clicker here as well with that. While we were over there, we went to the Jordan River. I want to show a video here of Miss um, Evelyn Greenwood. A few weeks ago, she came forward and uh, trusted Christ as her Savior. She got saved many years ago, but had never received believer's baptism. And she was on that trip with us, and she wanted to get baptized in the Jordan River. So here's her baptism. I think our video is going to work so that... baptized here in the Jordan River. So this baptism also for Evelyn is for Broadway Baptist Church because she, uh, in order to be a member of the church, you have to receive believer's baptism. So this here, the other baptisms are ceremonial baptism and this is Evelyn's first ever believer's baptism. <laughs> Evelyn is Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life. Evelyn, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I have another video here I want to show. Now, this is what I'm about to show you on this next video. This ties in with Matthew chapter 24. Then I have some pictures. I'm going to, I have nine pictures. Sherry has 17. But, um... I've given her four minutes to speak, or the trap door opens here, and then she gets stuck, has to go to children's church. And, you know, that's punishment right there. She has to go downstairs in the fellowship hall with that. But um, we, where, the, where the temple was built, the first temple that Solomon built, where Abraham went up on a mount, it's called Mount Moriah, to sacrifice Isaac, where then where Ezra... And Nehemiah came back from uh, being in captivity in exile. The second temple was built. Right now there is an Islamic mosque. It's called the Dome of the Rock. It's on 37 acres. The Bible says one day this dome will be destroyed. Well, it doesn't say the dome. You'll see that a, a third temple will be built on that location. You just can't build a temple wherever you want to build a temple. You can't go out to Cynthiana or go up to Louisville and say, let's go put a temple there. That's not. God has ordained only one specific site right there in Jerusalem. And it started with Abraham, with him sacrificing Isaac. The temple was in a specific site because that's where the sacrifices were made at the Holy of Holies. And that's where it says God in the Ten Commandments, he, they lived there. The Lord resided there at the temple. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. 
Now, and then it came under Muslim rule, and now there's a mosque there. So I want to show you this video here, and this ties in with Matthew chapter 24. or the dome right here. This is what we call the Temple Mount. This is where the Holy of Holies are. Non-Muslims are not allowed to go into this building here. Only Muslims can, so I can't enter. But what's fascinating about that, where we stand, just Grace, kind of show around. This is actually the exact location of where the temple was and where the sacrificial system. Now, what has to do with this? One day, book of Matthew chapter 24, as well as the book of Revelation tells us that this building will be destroyed and the third temple will be built on that. And that is when the rise of the Antichrist will occur. So I want to show you all a picture. This is uh this here is what the Dome of the Rock looks like. Hey Daniel Osmond here. I am at the Dome of the Rock. So Grace, you pull well, up and take a look at One time's enough. So uh anyway, that there, you can't go in the unless you're Muslim, you cannot enter inside that Dome of the Rock. That was um, that used to that location is actually where the third temple will be built, and we're going to look at those scriptures. I want to show you a couple of pictures here. Um, <clears throat> who here. Who here has been to Israel? Well, that's great. We've had about that's about twenty five hands up. Israel costs four thousand dollars to go to, but it is worth going to. And here's why: you get to see um, the places where Jesus walked, where Jesus did his ministry. All you do is walk at this place. If, it is an exhausting trip. It is not a vacation. You walk uphill. Nothing's handicapped, accessible. There's no such thing as an escalator, elevator. Everything's 2,000 years old, and you're walking on uh, old rickety rocks and stones, and your people fall everywhere. And it's, um, it is a grueling trip. You get up at 7, you have to leave the hotel at 7.30 in the morning, you don't get back to 5.30, 6 o'clock. So it is just stop after stop after stop. But it's worth it. It is a trip that every Christian pilgrim should go and make. You should save your money at some point in your life. You should go to Israel. It is worth it. Every minister, if we have folks visiting here from other churches, say you have another pastor, you need to fork out, find, go to your personnel committee, and go find, they need to go find $4,000. I wish my church in Moreland, Georgia, 14 years ago, sent me to Israel. It makes a minister a better pastor. It makes you know your Bible. All, all, all a trip to Israel is, is just, it's one week, it's 10 day Bible study. That's all it is. If, if you're not into the Bible, going to Israel is not for you. I mean, all it is, is here is this place you go visit. Here is, this is where Jesus walked. Here's what, this happened to this scripture. So I've got, I've got nine pictures here. I want to show you a couple of pictures here. This is Golgotha. You can see, if you're a bus driver, uh, Israel's actually the greatest place in the world for you. Golgotha is now next to a bus parking lot. And um, that is the place of the skull. That is where Jesus, right there, was crucified. We don't exactly know, but somewhere, maybe on top of that hill. And um, All right, go, go to the ne next photo. Maybe Michael. That is the, that's the, called the garden tomb. Uh, that's where Jesus was buried as well as he was resurrected right there. Let's see if this works. <laughs> All right. Um, wait, Sherry, that's your picture, I think. Okay, this, one's, <laughs> this is one of mine. Um, that's the Dome of the Rock. That's what I'm preaching on this morning. That is where the third temple is going to be built. Um, that is a very important site throughout the Bible. It's called Mount Moriah. All right, next picture. This here's the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus prayed right here before he was arrested where 
Peter and the disciples were falling asleep. This is right outside the walls of Jerusalem. Those are 2,000-year-old olive trees. All right, next photo. This here's our team. This is uh, overlooking Jerusalem. That's there on the Mount of Olives, which is right... Uh, 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 all, all Israel is is hills. It's just hill, hill, hill everywhere you go. So that's on one hill called the Mount of Olives, um, and that's Jerusalem there in the background. All right, next photo. That is what we call, that's a very common picture we see. This is called the Wailing Wall, or, or now it's called the Western Wall. Um, what this is, is uh, this is the Jewish, if you're Jewish, this is your holiest site. Back in this, the second temple was destroyed, and there was a buttress wall that surrounded the temple. When the Romans came and destroyed this in 70 AD, this is all that's left. So what happens, it's open 24-7. If you're Jewish, you go there and you have to wear a hat, and you go there and you, the men are separated from the women, and you go there and you write a prayer, and you put it in the wall, and you pray at the wall. That's the closest you can get to the, to the temple mount where that dome of the rock is. The chief rabbi has a sign that if you, you, Jewish folks cannot go to the Dome of the Rock. And the reason why, he has a sign saying that they're forbidden for going because they could be walking over the Holy of Holies. And you're not allowed to go to that area because um, uh, uh, you could actually be walking on where the presence of God is. So only Gentiles and non-Jewish folks go to the um, Dome of the Rock. So this is where Jewish folks go. They go to this wall and they pray. They also have a synagogue in there. That's where they go to school, too. So that is the, that's ground zero for Judaism. All right, next, uh, next picture here. This is where Jesus was, was born. Jesus was born in a cave. You know, a lot of times we picture this perfect birth scene here of Jesus, but Jesus here in Bethlehem, uh, this would have been what they call a shepherd's cave, where we were at, and way back in the cave, uh, Mary would have been what they call ceremonially unclean, so she would have been way back with the animals in a cave, and it would have been something similar to this, that he would have given birth right there in a feeding trough for the animals. All right, next photo. This is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent most of his ministry there in northern Israel, and the Sea of Galilee is basically a massive lake. And what's neat about it is uh, Jesus grew up, remember, he was raised in Nazareth, which is now an Islamic city, 70% Muslim. And then he moved to Capernaum, which is a Jewish section there on the Sea of Galilee. And um, he did most of his teaching. Um, they found a boat from 2,000 years ago. It's called the, um, the Jesus boat or the Galilean fishing, fishing boat. And that would have been very similar to what Jesus would have taught from as well as when he calmed the storm. So is this my last photo? Oh, this, this is Caesarea Philippi. Remember that passage in Scripture in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus told Peter, says, and on this rock I will build my church. Well, that's the rock right there that Jesus was talking about. That was a, is a massive rock there in northern Israel, and Jesus referenced that rock telling Peter, I'm going to, I mean, all church planning, all churches were started right there. That's where Jesus first used the word church. Very significant sight that Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, we're going to do something great, and I'm starting it with you, just like this big rock, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Is that my last photo? Okay, that's all. I'm going to invite Sherry. Sherry, you come on up. She has 17 pictures here she wants to show. This is the clicker, Sherry, that doesn't work. So, 
Let me grab you a microphone. Or I won't be up here forever. I think for me, seeing the sites was, was awesome, but then also, I don't know, to hear the stories of the people that live there. And uh, I think that the strongest Christian or Messianic Jews is a, a Jewish person that, that believes in Christ. I think that was some of the strongest things that we saw that Daniel and I kind of related to. The two people that stuck out in our mind were people that lived in persecution, and they were the strongest believers that we saw. So um, I guess on my first slide... Um, this was, um, her name was Sana, and she was, um, you know, you forget that um, Jerusalem is separated, just like the Berlin Wall was, against Palestine, and there's this huge concrete wall, and if you are not um, a citizen of Jerusalem, you cannot cross. I mean, they have huge guns, and um, so Sana was actually born in Jerusalem. She had um, dual citizenship, and then she could live in Bethlehem also, and um, she chose to live in Bethlehem, and the reason was because she said, um, just like Daniel said, there's 70% Muslim, huge Muslimic um, presence, 28% are Jewish, and 2% are Christian, 2 or 3%, whatever the math, math is. And so um, she said she had promised her father when he was dying two and a half or three years ago that she would stay and she would spread the gospel of Jesus to the people in Bethlehem. And she literally did that. And it gives me chill bumps to talk about her because our guide knew all of the facts. Um, and he knew everything with cross-reference uh, to Old Testament and New Testament, and yet he wasn't a believer. But Sana just shared from her heart, and um, I think um, we, we should definitely pray for her as she shares the gospel in Bethlehem. And so um, you can keep going, but the, the slides that I was showing here, I think uh, what's really funny is that, you know, of course no one knows what side is what. I mean, they say this might be where this happened, or this might be what this happened, but this is 2,000 years ago, so they're just guessing. But a lot of what's happened, I feel like, with um, the Roman, Roman Catholicism is, I feel like the locations that they say that they have become have become idols for those people. They bow down and they, they kiss the stones of where these locations could have happened. It's very decorative. And so I think for me, that didn't touch me as much as to see people's belief in God in action. So this was where they believe Jesus's, um, Jesus's nativity was. And then you can flip to the next slide. Um, this was uh, where the shepherd's fields would have been. Um, just where they were overlooking where the angels came to them and you can go to the next slide and I think this was just an example of what um, It would have been like for the angels like where they could have kind of lived Well, I thought it was really interesting um, You know you always see a sh the good shepherd with a shepherd uh, with a sheep over his shoulders and um, Sana told us this story. She said that um, it, the sheep of course represents us and she said that um, What happens is if a sheep is wayward? Um, they'll actually break the sheep's legs and then put the shepherd or the sheep over the shepherd. That way he can't disobey and they heal really quickly. And then they, once they're healed, they know to stay with the shepherd. And so much often, I feel like that's an example of us. You know, we're wayward and God has to discipline us, but that discipline makes us stronger and makes us closer to follow him. So you can do the next slide. Um, and this again was just the cave of what the shepherds, it could have looked like. And you can keep going. Um, and so, and this is an example um, just of how um, three separate churches kind of take claim to where Jesus' birth was, and this was the outside of that church. So keep going. And this was Sana showing us all of this. This is what it looks like. It's just very decorative. You can see the star on the floor. Um, they think that's where Mary, again, all supposed, that's where Mary gave birth. And there were people that were literally bowing down to this star and kissing the floor. Um, you know, and it, it, I feel like it was easy to lose sight of Jesus, and it was easy to focus on 
you know, the idol that, that it's become, I feel like, so you can keep going. Um, this is another person, there were two people. Sana was the one in Bethlehem. Um, this man's name is Daniel, and he's from Romania. He is a Messianic Jew also, so he had become a Christian. He was, a Jew, he was um, Jewish, and he is a missionary. So he actually moved from Romania um, to Nazareth, which is where Jesus would have grown up, and he purchased a piece of land. And as they were renovating it and kind of deconstructing it, they found very similar ruins to what it would have been like during Jesus' time, which he doesn't believe was by accident at all. And his goal is to be a missionary to Nazareth, and so he's rebuilt what it would have looked like in Jesus's time. He has a passion play, he has um, a Christmas program, and he invites the community of Muslims and of Jewish people that don't know the Lord. And it's just, it's amazing. He said that he had 4,000 people come to the passion play last year to hear the gospel. And so that was who he was. And then you can keep flipping. This is just an example. This was um, just overlooking. This is what it would have looked like during Jesus's time. You know, he would have just been in the fields and wasn't all built up. You can keep going. Um, this is how, again, how the shepherds kind of would have herded the sheep. And this was just in his little city that he had built. You can keep going. And then um, this was him. You can actually see where he's standing. This is what have been a wine press. And there's like that little square kind of area and then a spout right by his foot that's sticking out. So when the grapes would have been mashed, it would have poured out to the next kind of spot. But this is all, you know, found underneath the ground um and then the last day this is kind of a comical i'm showing y'all a picture i did not allow on facebook and you know everything has to be pre-approved by me if it's a picture of me before daniel can post it on facebook but i i wanted to illustrate the fact that you know even though we were there and it was a tour group it was amazing how much satan was present and how he didn't want us to learn more about Jesus's life and how he wanted to prevent these things from happening. <laughs> That's the picture. So we had gone to the garden tomb and, you know, we just shared sicknesses. There were stomach bugs going around. Well, this day at the garden tomb, oh, I felt like I was going to die. I was so sick with the stomach bug. And I just think it was Satan just trying to stop, I don't know, stop the group from learning more about Jesus and loving him. So definitely continue and don't let them have to look at that picture anymore. <laughs> Um, and I guess I didn't put any more pictures of the garden, but it was very similar what Daniel had seen. We actually, um, I think it was so powerful because we had the Lord's Supper there. And to be able to sit by the tomb where Jesus was buried and died for us and to take the Lord's Supper like we are today and to think about what he went through and the suffering that he had to endure so that we can have this privilege and this right to he called his children was just so powerful. I told Kelly sort of was a Kelly moment because I'm not a crier, but it made me cry in my sickness and stomach bug and everything. And, and this is the last one I just wanted to end on. Um, this is Ari and, um, he was our guide for most of the time. Um, but he, um, and he could, he could literally tell you how the scripture had been fulfilled in the new Testament by the old Testament or vice versa. The old Testament was fulfilled through the new Testament. He could quote scripture and verse. And yet, He's not a believer. And so um, it's just, you know, it's a job to him. We're Americans that they're making money on. So, um, so you know, I think what was so amazing and, and what I got out of the trip mostly was that the people that were in the most persecution and the least support were the strongest believers. And so, you know, they say pray for Israel, and it's just so vague. And then when you meet the people, you know, we do need to pray. This is, these are God's people that, that don't know Jesus. So that's all I had to say. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much. It was trap doors coming open. Sherry, if you were, uh, if this was a Methodist church, you could be a preacher. So that's true. <laughs> so.
That's true. <laughs> so, all right, uh, open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 24. I tell you, if possible, Richard, leave that Dome of the Rock picture there in the background because what we're about to read has everything to do with this picture you're going to see there, right here. Open your Bible. I want you to follow along here in your Bible here. This here, the heading in my Bible, hopefully it says in your Bible as well, this is about the destruction of the temple. Remember, in the Bible, Jewish people would go to the temple and offer their sacrifice. You didn't offer a sacrifice at the local synagogue. One of the pictures Sherry showed was that man, his name was Daniel, also standing in a, a synagogue. Synagogues were much smaller, and that was kind of like a community center where you would go and learn in each little town, just like we have the church. But the temple could only be in this location of where you see here. So I want you to follow along here in your Bible. <clears throat> is that actually, uh, actually, I want to explain. My, I have another slide of the Mount Moriah. Do you all have that as well? Um, it has the different scripture verses before I read, read all this. Anyway, what is Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah here, what we're reading about, is this specific location of where the temple is built. Say, so why is this area important? We're not going to turn all these Bible verses. Genesis 2.22 tells us this is the place that God led Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Secondly, we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 18, David offered a sacrifice to the Lord here to stop the plague of his census. David made a, committed a, a sin in 2 Samuel chapter 23. He wanted to take a census. Do you know that was dangerous? Because instead of trusting in the Lord, because at this point in David, he had been king for nearly 40 years, he had really built up Israel, had a great army. When your numbers are great, what do you want to do? You want to start counting and think, look how big my army, my, my country is. Look what I've done. And God told him no. A cent counting is dangerous because the Lord built up David's army and built up Israel. Not anything that David did. So David took a sense of his folks and God judged him. 70,000 Israelites died because of that census. God sent the angel of the Lord through Israel and killed many Israelites because of that census. But it was at the temple that he had to make a sacrifice to the Lord and the Lord appeared to him to stop the Lord from killing um, more Israelites. Second Chronicles 3.1 tells us here that Solomon built the first temple of the Lord right here on Mount Moriah. You go on to the New Testament in Luke chapter 21 verse 24. Jesus says Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We right now live in the times of the Gentiles. What that means is Jerusalem, like Sherry said, 70, I mean Jerusalem is a Muslim city. The temple where it's supposed to be a Jewish temple is now an Islamic site. <clears throat> so at one point we will see God will change this from when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, it will shift and go back. Say, how will that be? One day if you ever turn on the news and you see an earthquake that maybe hit the Temple Mount or you see a, a, a random missile blew up the Dome of the Rock, I'm telling you, you are living in the end times. All right, last one we see here, 2 Thessalonians, and here's why it's important. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 actually tells us, and we won't turn there, that the Antichrist will sit in God's temple and he will proclaim that he himself is God. And he will be right there at this dome. So let's read here in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 24, as Jesus left and was going out of the temple, he and his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. 
He replied to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is right outside Jerusalem there, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So that's a good question. We all want to know, what's the end of the age? What are going to be some of the signs to, for us to look for here in 2019 that Jesus is going to return? Bible tells us Jesus is coming back. Bible tells us over and over again that our home is not here on earth. One day, Jesus will come back. <clears throat> so here are the signs. So these are important for us. Let's read it here. Verse 3, or verse 4. Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. I, I think that's a very important Bible verse. And the reason why it's important is because there's a lot of folks that feel like they already know what's going to happen at the end times. The only thing that we are for sure that we know that's going to happen at the end times is Jesus wins. He returns and he's going to conquer and defeat the devil. Now all the little details, we don't know when, we don't know exactly what, but we do know the end result. But what's dangerous about this is you can make a lot of money today being an end times prophet. And Jesus is saying, do not be deceived. Listen, Broadway, if he's telling you not to be deceived, you know what that means? It's possible for us to be deceived. That means you could be fooled. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, Dean, I'm going to be raptured away and I'm not going to see any of this. Well, what if you do turn on the news this afternoon and that dome is destroyed by an earthquake and you thought you weren't going to be here? You thought you wouldn't see the Antichrist come to power. The Bible's warning us that you have to be careful or you too will be deceived. And I think what Christ is telling us, no one knows every detail of the end times. Jesus is very very general with this. But that's the first thing he's warning us to watch out. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Do you feel we live in that now? We have so much, there's so much division. Even Brother Hurt's prayer this morning, he prayed, even our nation's divided. Division is all around us. People hate each other. They just can't get along. Listen, Israel, there are walls. You talk about building a wall. All that city is is a bunch of walls. The whole, there's a wall is everywhere. The Palestinians are walled in where they live. Israel has a massive wall that if you climb over it, you get electrocuted. And they, a sensor goes off, they know exactly where you're at. And they have minefields. Even if you make it past that, the next hundred feet is a minefield. I mean, it's just very, very <clears throat> to the point where there is division among the folks. Verse 8. They will hand you over to be persecuted. And they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations. Why? Because of my name. Jesus is telling you and I that because of his name, even 2,000 years later, people are going to hate you. 
And that's true today. You make a stand in public for Jesus, you will be mocked. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Fall away as people who once were very active and loved the Lord, were active in church. Maybe your children, for whatever reason, they're not here. The Bible talks about a great apostasy. And it's a falling away from the Lord. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Here's the deception. There, there's a lot of religion out there. We were in Israel, in Jerusalem. Every language, every little church had its group touring around. There was no telling. Every language I heard. No telling what was being told about that city. If we want to know about the Lord, if we want to know about Israel and Jerusalem and what's going to happen in times, where do we go? We go to our Bibles. That's where we find our truth. Because deception will be real. One of the ways that Antichrist is going to come to power is through deception. He's going to deceive folks. Verse 12, Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. One of the great things about the Bible is it tells us that before Jesus comes back, this gospel will be preached to all nations. And then Jesus comes back. All right, look here at the Great Tribulation. Verse 15. Read, read along your Bible. It's an important Bible verse. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, that is a quote from Daniel 9.27. The holy place is that temple. If you look at that dome of the rock up there on the, on the board, that is the holy place. Well, anytime you see the holy, that's where the holy of holies would have been. That's where, that's where the Ten Commandments would have been located when Solomon built that first temple. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's the Antichrist, the Scriptures tell us. It says, let the reader understand the reason why this Bible's telling us this is because we need to be aware of what's going to happen. Then those in Judea must flee for the mountains. Jerusalem, there's just mountains all around it, hilly area. A man on his housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For at that time there will be a great distress. That's the great tribulation. The Bible describes this. The kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because why? Of the elect. Where are the elect? That means saved folks. The, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, as the Bible calls will just come and deceive people and persecute believers. But Jesus will cut short this great distress, this great tribulation. The Bible goes on to say here, <clears throat> If anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah, verse 23, over here, do not believe him, for false messiahs and false prophets will arise to perform great signs and wonders to lead folks astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I've told you this in advance. So if, you, 
So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. See, he's in the storerooms, do not go out there to believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you know what that means? When Jesus returns, the entire world, all seven billion people will see him. It won't be a mystery. It won't be, oh, he's over in the Philippines or he went to China. Jesus says when he comes from the east to the west, everyone will see him. Now, how will he do that? We do not know. But he's God and we aren't. If he wants everyone to see him, he can certainly do that. Verse 29. Immediately, last few verses we're going to read here. This is about the second coming. Immediately, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the peoples of the earth, look at this, will mourn. Do you know for a non-believer, the second coming of Christ will be so sad. It's over. You can't get saved at that point. You can't quick and say, oh, let me quickly become a Christian. When Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky, and he's back, and the entire world sees him, your eternal fate is sealed. It's done. And that's why it will mourn. That little picture we didn't show there, but that was our tour guide of me there, that last little picture. That man knew the Bible from cover to cover. He was Jewish. And he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. He knew all about Jesus. He was a wonderful man. But he was lost. The Bible says here, he will mourn when Jesus comes back. And they will see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the one end of the sky to the other. One of the signs we see, yep, there, there he is, that's Ari. <clears throat> one of the signs we see is this temple here, will, this dome of the rock will be destroyed and a third temple will be rebuilt. The first temple is Solomon's temple. Second temple is the Ezra and Nehemiah temple we see. It was, that was the temple there with the wailing wall. That was, it was there that Jesus preached in and got destroyed in 70 AD. And then it fell into Islamic rule. And now we're waiting for a third temple. And it only can be built right there. That will be one of the signs of the end times. And then at that point, Jesus Christ, the entire world, will see him come back. You know, the question for us, I think for this morning... You know, we see stuff like this. We read these stories. But what, how this should inspire us, that phrase, the whole world sees him. Listen, church, and they will mourn. They're going to mourn because they're lost. Listen, Jerusalem is a lost city. That is a place, is a mission field. Israel is a lost city. You know, a lot, probably millions of folks get baptized in the Jordan River. But these aren't folks who are getting saved in Israel. These are folks who are traveling thousands of miles for ceremonial baptism and getting baptized. 
Jewish folks aren't turning to the Lord and getting baptized in the Jordan River. I tell you, when we read this passage here out of Matthew chapter 24, when we know that Jesus Christ church is coming back, that should drive us to share Jesus with others. He's coming back. He's going to split the sky and the whole world will see him. If you're saved, you are saved eternally for Christ. But Jesus wants us to bring as many people as with him into heaven. It's sad to see the Jewish folks. They are lost. They know all about the Bible. They read their Hebrew and Old Testaments in their own languages. Yet they do not see the Messiah. Our hearts should break for the folks who go on these religious pilgrimages. But as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in closing, I want to encourage you this morning. You should be reminded, when you see these sights, when you hear these stories about what it's like in Israel, what's most important isn't the landmarks over there. What's most important is, are we ready? Do we know Jesus? Or are we telling, him with other, fo telling other folks about Him? The greatest thing you'll ever do is not go to Jerusalem. The greatest thing you ever do is lead someone to Christ. And then they'll get to see the new Jerusalem in uh, Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And we as believers, we will be a part of that Jerusalem. I want to invite our deacons to come forward. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Share your reference to the Lord's Supper. Today's a special Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was shared with Jesus and His disciples. And what's special about the Lord's Supper is we no longer have to go to this temple and make a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. Our Lord's Supper here has replaced the temple. Really, the most holy thing for us as Christians to identify with Christ as a believer is the Lord's Supper. This is when we say, I identify, just like a Jewish person going to the Wailing Wall, Western Wall, and praying there, because they want to be close to the Holy of Holies. For us, it's saying, I'm a believer. This Lord's Supper is for believers. If you're saved, this here is for you.
in that upper room, Jesus picked up. He was there with his disciples. This was right before he was going to be arrested and then obviously crucified and then resurrected. Jesus picked up that bread and he says, this bread, he said, no longer do you have to go to the temple and make sacrifice. I am about to become your sacrifice. I've replaced this temple here, you're, the picture you're looking at. I am the new temple. Remember that statement Jesus made in John chapter 2? He said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And their answer was, it took us 46 years to build this temple. Well, Jesus is talking about his body. And he did rebuild it in three days. He picked up the bread and he blessed it. Let's bless our bread. Lord, we know this here represents your body. In three days, you rebuilt the temple. You are the new temple for us. We identify with you as believers because you gave your life for the forgiveness of sin. We no longer have to go make sacrifices. You are the sacrifice. Lord, I, we just ask that you bless this bread. Lord, we just never forget the cost that was paid for our sins to be forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After that, the Bible says he then distributed or gave out the cup. So at this time, we'll buy our deacons to stand up and we'll pass out the cup.
Kings, y'all may be seated. Jesus picked up the cup there in that upper room and he explained it, that this is the blood that was poured out for many. So when you're actually saved, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, literally, it's, it's, it's an exchange. Jesus' blood washes you clean. That's what's so powerful about the cup. It's a reminder of us that Jesus died so we could be forgiven. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was God. Jesus didn't have the disease of sin in his life like we did. So he would have actually never died because he was God. But he chose to die so we could live. So when you trust in Christ, you're actually receiving Jesus' blood so you can go to heaven. He picked up the cup and he prayed over it. Let's pray over our cup. Lord, we thank you for this cup. We know this represents your blood. You shed your blood so we could live. Lord, we know it was a great cost on that cross there at um, Calvary. Golgotha. Lord, it was a cost that you paid for all of us. You died for our sins. And Lord, because of that, you want us to share the gospel to other folks so they can be saved. Lord, I thank you for your blood, and we thank you for this cup. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible says that after they had their Lord's Supper, supper there in the upper room they went out to the mount of olives which is right over the hill there and it says they sang a hymn so we're going to sing our hymn our hymn is a hymn of invitation this is your response to the gospel and for you to make a decision you could join our church and give your life to christ so you can follow in believers baptism maybe you're one of the teenagers that got saved last weekend and you want to be baptized by zach our youth pastor that first weekend there in in March for D-Now weekend in that special service. So we're going to stand up and sing. David Dell's going to lead us in our song, and I'll be standing out front with our deacons here waiting for you to respond. Into the cross where the Lord Jesus suffered Have you been to Calvary? Have you been to the place of redemption for sinners? Have you been to Calvary? It was there on Calvary, God's dear Son laid Time, don't delay. Place your faith in Christ Jesus. Turn your eyes now to Calvary. You can search, you can buy, and try everything man made, but it cannot satisfy it is Christ only Christ who gives life more abundant and he calls from Calvary it was there on Calvary God's dear son 
place your faith in Christ Jesus. Turn your eyes now to Calvary. Thank you so much. A couple announcements. Uh, <clears throat> this past uh, week, or last weekend, Mr. Wimp Hughes, Wimpy here, he passed away. He went to be with the Lord, and his wife is Betty, just sweet family here in our church. Their funeral is here at our church on Tuesday at 12.30. So if you're able to attend, I know that would be a blessing. I believe the visitation is before that from 10.30 to 12.30. It's going to be right here in the sanctuary. That's this coming Tuesday. Also wanted to remind you, if you're interested in going to Panama, we're planning a mission trip with Danny Snyder. Danny, will you raise your hand here? Uh, we're, uh, it's in Pake, Panama, and down in uh, southern Panama. We have an informational meeting today at 5 o'clock. Danny will be leading that, so if you want to go maybe this summer on a mission trip, learn more about it, you just come. It's one of the rooms that meets over there by the choir room. It's room D7, so that's coming up. Also, you like Christian rock music, we are going to Winter Jam. It's at Rupp Arena on Saturday. It starts at 6 o'clock. We're meeting here at the church at 5, so I want you to be able to come. we have a great time. It's only $15 cash only. Uh, to get it in the door, and you, it, we're not going to stay all the way at 10, but if you want to stay at 10, you can, but that's a great Christian concert, uh, very affordable, it's going to be right here in our city too, so that's this coming Saturday night uh, going on. Tonight we have church at 6 o'clock, we have Awana, it's neon night, so we're back on our Awana schedule at 5.30, so it'll be a lot going on. As you exit today, uh, anytime we have the Lord's Supper, we do Lord's Supper six times a year here, we're going to have deacons at the four different exits, we collect a benevolent offering throughout the year needs arise of uh, maybe uh, things we didn't budget for or special people we need to help if you're able to give a few dollars uh, it does go to a great our deacons minister and run the benevolent fund here at our church so they will have an offering plate at each of those doors that you can certainly contribute to all right david all right i have two quick announcements one is we're going to have a family if you're a parent grandparent with children or grandchildren we're having a family trip to Branson. I want to share this because it's quick. It's March 31st through April 2nd or 3rd during spring break week. There's information at the back about that. It's very affordable family to three, four, five, whatever. It's going to be a fun trip. And the main thing we'll do is see the show Samson. You've heard of that. It's in Pennsylvania and also one in Branson. A great time. Also, we have two pianos downstairs. We're going to give away one of them. They're just alike. They're both good pianos. One's in Fellowship Hall. One's another place down there. If you want to give, a, if you'd like to have a piano, see me, because we're going to give it away this week to whoever claims it first. Okay, <laughs> we're going to sing together. He is Lord as we leave this morning. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See you tonight.